What happens when you put two experts behind mics to match wits on the current state of financial services, the economy, investments, and more? From the American College of Financial Services, this is Wealth Managed. Welcome to today's episode of the Wealth Managed podcast. I'm Michael Finca. I'm a professor of wealth management at the American College. And I'm David Blanchett, head of retirement research for Morningstar. Now, David, I have been noticing that there have been a number of discussions on social media about advisor compensation and all very well-reasoned, unemotional conversations ah. about how everybody's form of compensation is more pure than everyone else's. And of course, there's nothing like insulting someone's basic form of compensation to get them all worked up. Everybody thinks that they're looking out for the best interest of clients. But this is a big issue here in financial advising. I remember a few years ago, the SEC very much made a concerted effort to try to encourage the use of fee compensation as opposed to commission compensation. And a lot of people who worked in the commission world were a bit upset by that. They thought that there is nothing wrong with commission compensation. Sure, it's going to create its own set of incentives, but that's not necessarily the wrong incentives for all clients in every situation for every type of product. So why don't you take us through the basics of how advisors are paid? And let's talk a little bit about some of those arguments for and against different forms of compensation. Ah, where to begin? You know, I'm, I'm sure that no matter what we say, we're going we're gonna to make somebody mad with how this conversation turns out, right? But, you know, maybe as a quick aside, when I think about this issue, what I care the most about is not how you get paid, it's if you're a fiduciary, right? You can be a, a fiduciary who gets paid solely on commission and, and be doing a much better job than someone that, you know, gets paid an annual fee every year to do nothing. But I think that if you think about our industry, you know, it, it kind of grew up as a commission-based field, right? You know, it, you know, stockbrokers or advisors were paid a commission to sell a client a, a certain product. And, you know, let's be honest, you know, sometimes that would, you know, create incentives to put someone in something they don't necessarily need. Now we have this, you know, somewhat recent evolution where advisors charge asset-based fees. So I will charge you 1% of your portfolio per year to do something. And, you know, I think that a lot of advisors that have moved to more of that fee-based approach, you know, often would contend that their approach is better. And, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but what if you're not doing anything every year to help that person, right? I think we've been like the next evolution has been, we've seen more advisors moving towards, you know, more of a flat fee arrangement, whether it be retainer or hourly. And so now there's this kind of growing debate in the field that, you know, what is the best way to charge for your services? You know, I would contend that there isn't necessarily one, but to your point, people can get very passionate about how they do things and why they think that their approach is the best way, period. Let's talk about commission compensation, because the, the research does tell us that there are some incentive issues with commission right. compensation. This is all under an umbrella of what's known as agency costs. The consumer hires someone who is an expert, and that expert, because they know more than the consumer, they can make recommendations that are in their own best interest, as opposed to the interest of the consumer or the investor. So those agency costs are just a part of hiring someone who's an expert, someone who is a professional advisor. And you know, going into that relationship, that those costs are going to be there, that whenever you delegate decision-making to someone else, 
you're going to open up the opportunity for them to make recommendations that are not in your best interest. So give me some examples of, of the commission form of, of compensation. How can that create misaligned incentives? Well, I mean, it's, it creates the incentive to do things when things don't need to get done, right? So I think the most obvious is like an A-share mutual fund. Let's say you have a, you sell a client a mutual fund and you build some kind of retirement strategy and you use A-shares, you get paid a commission. Well, you know, it could be that, you know, the advisor wants to change your portfolio. Well, if they make that recommendation to change your portfolio and they sell you a new A-share, they would get paid again. And so I think it creates this inherent conflict where maybe it's in the client's best interest to keep their existing portfolio, but it's in the advisor's best interest to maybe make a change. And so I think that's where there's been this kind of perspective that, oh, if they're in a fee-based account where you charge 1% a year, it removes those conflicts. But to me, there's still conflicts there because you can get paid money to not do anything. I think that there's the obvious benefit of, you know, kind of annuitizing a client's portfolio. But again, there isn't, from my perspective, one right way to do things. So let's let's look at some of the research that's been done on A-share mutual funds. And I, I think this is a great insight into what some of the potential compensation problems are. It has been shown that mutual funds that compensate the advisor using commissions tend to trade more frequently. One of the problems is that advisors tend to want to take more risk after the markets have gone up. And then when the markets go down, they want to take less risk. And that creates an opportunity for advisors to sell equity funds after equity funds have gone up in value. When the market goes down, they sell bond funds. You know that you get this really vicious cycle of underperformance. And it's one of the reasons why many of those types of funds tend to underperform over time. There's also an incentive to sell last year's high performer and then kick out last year's underperformer as a way of getting more commission compensation. And to a client, that sounds right. Yeah, I want to buy winners. I want to sell my losers. But really, that's just a way of buying the overpriced mutual funds, incurring added fees. That tends to lead to greater underperformance. So there's a lot of evidence in the literature that that form of compensation does lead to underperformance. Now, the flip side of that is that if you are paid through commission compensation for the sale of a mutual fund, and you encourage that client to hold the mutual fund for a long period of time, they might actually be paying less than assets under management if they're a long-term investor. Is that not the case? Yeah, it is. I mean, and, and you know, one kind of counterpoint to that research is that advisors selling A shares aren't always going to be fiduciaries, right? So, you know, to your point, you can actually help make a client could pay less over the long haul if you sell them an A share and they stay invested in that fund if it's a high quality long-term fund. And so I think that I don't disagree with with the research on, you know, I don't want to call it churn and A shares, but I think that that there's this overlapping problem where a lot of individuals who are not fiduciaries sell commission products and that drives a lot of their behavior regardless. And so I'm not I'm not convinced that if you take them and put them in a different environment, they wouldn't also do things that are wealth maximizing at, at the client's cost. Thanks, David. Let's take a break for a moment. Deliver financial planning for every person and every need through our chartered financial consultant education program. Find the tools and skills you need at theamericancollege.edu slash chfc. The American College of Financial Services proudly supports the next generation of financial professionals and leaders. I'm Ross Riskin head of the college's next-gen advisory task force. And if you're looking for important and timely knowledge on financial planning, 
career building, networking, and more for next-gen advisors and those working with next-gen clients, then tune into our Next Gen in 10 podcast. Subscribe and listen to all our episodes at theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Let's get back to our conversation. There's also the issue that many low quality financial products that people probably shouldn't be buying pay very high commission. So we had a problem a few years ago with non-traded REITs. Here's an example of a financial product that, you know, the, the performance on those products on the aggregate was, was lousy, if, if not criminal. And they paid some very high commissions. And so a lot of brokers were incentivized to sell products that are not necessarily the kind of things that a lot of investors should be buying. And they may have been less incentivized to sell things that were more in the best interest of their client. And that it does create a situation where some of the brokers who are more willing to sell lower quality products to their client end up making more money, at least for a while. Maybe not in the long run, but for a short period of time, they get rewarded for selling bad products. And that's an example of a big misalignment of incentives, huge agency costs from the perspective of the investor, and something that is truly a big problem, I think, with commission compensation in the financial services industry. Well, then, so what's the best way to do it? I mean, I've read the forums, I've been involved in some, you know, everyone says that their way, their way is best. Is one way best? You know, how do we remove or minimize these conflicts? Well, let's go with pure fee compensation. Let's go with assets under management. Is that a form of compensation that doesn't have any conflicts of interest? Of course What's not, the right? problem with AUM? I mean, you know, AUM, it's, it's your job to grow the pie, right? I mean, now you shouldn't pay off your mortgage. You shouldn't pay down your debts. You shouldn't use your money for other things. You shouldn't spend it. I'm going to manage it right? You shouldn't buy an annuity. You shouldn't delay claiming social security. You know, maybe there's this appearance that asset-based is less conflicted, but there's definitely conflicts there, right? Oh, and David, I think we've seen it. First of all, we both are big proponents of annuitization. And for a lot of AUM compensated advisors, they poo-pooed this for a long time because they're not compensated for selling those products. Now, there exist some products for which they can get fee compensation, but that does create a conflict of interest. A pure conflict of interest is do you pay down your mortgage? Because that means less in assets under management. Another one I've seen a few times recently is what do you do with a mature cash value life insurance policy? You know, one that maybe has high interest rate guarantees, that is by the time they get mature, you've paid all of your compensation upfront, which is a separate issue that for many of these types of insurance products, you pay your compensation upfront, but over a long period of time, actually you may end up paying less on that product than you would from a managed investment portfolio. By the time they get to be mature, they're actually quite valuable. There's private equity firms that will go out and they will buy these insurance products because they are so valuable, but yet an AUM compensated advisor will tell a client that they need to liquidate that product and invest it in something that they can get compensated for. So that's a clear conflict of interest. Even though they're a fiduciary, they're probably not going to get sued for making that type of a recommendation, but it's clearly not in the best interest of a client. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that something that, you know, people listening need to be aware of is that, you know, you might say I'm AUM based and I would never do that. I, I tell clients to do these things, but I think it definitely skews your perspective. I think that you know, you can do things, you can run an analysis to justify things, but at the end of the day, we have to be aware as an industry that there is no perfect method of compensation. You know, so we've seen some advisors do hourly and they say hourly is the best way to do it. What do you think, Michael? 
Well, I mean, there, there's a very strong argument to be made for it. Now, the most compelling argument against it is that that means that you have to constantly be finding people that you can work with to charge an hourly fee, that you may not end up making as much money, that you're undervaluing your time and the, the value of your services. And if you're going to value it appropriately, you need to charge a lot of money to people for those advising services. You might need to charge, you know, five to $10,000 for a plan. You might need to charge $400 an hour for the cost of your time to make as much money as you would if you were AUM compensated. And that may actually put people off. They may not get a plan because you're charging them so much money upfront for that plan. Now, there are some clients who are well-informed, who have no problem. They realize the value, but a lot of people don't necessarily realize that value and they would have been better off maybe going with an AUM type of compensation because they're less salient. And I think that's good and bad, the saliency of those fees to the consumer. So those upfront fees that are very salient, you know exactly how much money you're paying, they hurt. And in fact, people might have an emotional response that, that prevents them from getting the advice. Whereas less salient advice like AUM may be you know, they don't, people don't understand how much they're paying. It doesn't hurt them as much emotionally. They're more likely to get the advising services. But on the same token, because they're less salient, people may end up paying more. So let's play some devil's advocate here, right? Other professional advice businesses like accountancy and law, they charge hourly, right? Someone could say, hey, financial planning, your profession, when someone walks in your office and they ask you how much you charge for your services, you know, you can say I charge 1%, but that could mean $1,000 for one client and $10,000 for another, right? When the work isn't materially different. How do you justify that? Well, it's difficult. And I think you make a very good point about other professions somehow surviving on an hourly model for their advice. I think maybe there's greater confidence in the value among both the provider and the consumer. And part of what you have to sell is your value proposition to clients if you're going to charge in that way. You have to convince them that by handing the financial decision-making over to an expert, they're going to benefit more than the $5,000 cost of actually getting the plan. Well, so then where, where do you think fees are going? So you know, we've obviously pivoted significantly in the industry to like a, a you know, 1% AUM based environment. Do you think we're going to stay here? I know that there's a few robo advisors now that do flat monthly fees. I know that there's certain services as well. Do you think we're, we're going to move away from the AUM based fee or kind of see more hybrid models in the future? You know, and I think because AUM is so not salient that people don't realize how much money they're paying unless you can force people to acknowledge how much money they're paying. Unless you can take something that's not salient and make it more salient, people are not going to switch from their AUM advisor to a different type of model. I just don't see it happening very much in the industry. A lot of people have said that the demise of AUM compensation is on the horizon. They've been saying that for a long time. I haven't seen it. In fact, if anything, I've seen AUM compensated advising grow over time. And I think saliency is part of that. People don't recognize the amount of money that they're paying for it. But you would take someone to, I think what Ken Fisher did in many ways is he forced people to recognize some of the potential conflicts of commission-based compensation. And he held his way up as a better approach. But someone could just as easily say, hey, you're, you're paying Ken Fisher over hundred basis points to manage your money. It's costing you this much money. You could pay us 
a third of that amount and you would get better quality advice. When that happens, then you might be able to lure people away from that method of compensation. And that's the way that free markets work. They provide services at a lower price more efficiently. That's the way that I think all markets evolve over time. Yeah, but that, that, that kind of hurts the margins though. You know, if you, if you move from 1% to 40 basis points, you gotta have a scalable model because it's not cheap to manage clients and operate that way. David, margins have been hurting for actually a while for a lot of financial businesses other right. than AUM compensated advisors. Right, I mean, I mean, I personally, I think that there's a place for AUM within the industry because there is an asset-based risk model to what we do. I think that, you know, I guess I'd like to see more of that retainer model or, you know, hourly based because I think the part of it really is, you know, other similar professions do have a quasi-fixed fee environment, but we're not close to that. So, I, you know, like everything else, I think there is no one right answer. I, I like seeing the growth in different models and I'll be curious to see kind of where we are as an industry in five or 10 years. Well, maybe in five years, we'll revisit it on another episode of our podcast. Thank you everyone for joining us today. I'm Michael Finca. I'm David Lanchett. See y'all. For more episodes and shows, visit theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Wealth Managed is a production of the American College of Financial Services.